Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. Hello, Hello. from uh, Belfast, Ireland. Wow. How cool is that? Are you having a good time? I don't know. I've only been in Belfast for about 22 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but you've been in day. Ireland for a week, right? I have almost a week. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Yeah. So I say, I have to say top of the morning, top of the middle of the night to you. <laughs> oh, kind of like it. <laughs> I'll tell you, the, the, the uh, Irish are funny and the way of saying things are so funny. I just, I, I love listening to them talk and <laughs> guys and some great i've met some great people here it's been really really fun and uh i have to tell you that i've learned some great stuff today was a wild day we got up we went on a tour at the jameson whiskey uh distillery mm -hmm. and then we went with the same tour guide over to the guinness uh famous beer brewery yeah and something very interesting during the dialogue that um the guinness used to be given to pregnant women for a couple reasons one was it was safer to drink guinness than it was to drink the water wow and secondly it has iron and b12 in it <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be my new recommendation to all pregnant women is to have a have a pint every now and then <laughs> okay great <laughs> is um is that the reason why you said when we recorded you were going to be drunk because you knew you were going on these tours yeah well that yeah uh, well i didn't drink much because <laughs> because uh, i knew i had to drive uh I, i'm oh i'm also driving on the wrong side of the road for the first time in, in forever and that's been an adventure uh mm -hmm. so far so good that's good. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're having a grand old time. Yeah. And I should really mention, I want to give a shout out to uh, uh, Dr. Rosalind Drake, uh, the host of the uh, Reteach Breach seminar that I had here. It was a lovely seminar. Sadly, the however, very few Irish folk showed up. Uh, apparently, the, the feeling is in Ireland that no one lets them do that anyway. So why should they learn the skill? Which, which you and I both have an answer to is because sooner or later they're going to end up with somebody who's breached. And, and if they know the skill, then maybe they could get the environment to change and maybe they could get people to start accepting the skill. So that was an impasse. But there were people uh, at the, um, there was, I think we had three or maybe four doctors uh, from Hungary and from the Czech Republic that came. Cool. And that was great. And I learned a lot about what goes on in their countries, which isn't so good either. Um, you know, high C-section rates, high intervention rates, uh, midwifery is sketchy in a lot of places. The, the, the doctors run most of everything there. Uh, we had a couple lovely uh, ladies from Tennessee who came over. So it's really interesting. We had a seminar in Dublin, Ireland, and only two Irish people. <laughs> at the seminar wow uh but but it was great it was great the people were great the 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 czech chicks as i like to call them because they, they were really they were really um 
Oh, they loved it. They loved it. They, you know, they tease me all the time. So it's my turn to turn around and tease them back. It's true. true. They got very, very proficient at it because with a smaller group, I think we only had 12. Uh uh, We got a lot of time on the simulators and, you know, we practiced breach delivery, breach extraction, internal pedalic version, love set maneuver, uh, uh, prayer hands, um, uh, crowning touch, the modified single-headed piper maneuver that I've sort of created, um, and upright positioning and lithotomy positioning. Both my uh, Sophies and their moms came along. Uh, So that, that has been great. And uh, yeah, it's a while. And now I've got another week uh, before I'm in Ireland. And then I'm going to go and do the same thing in London. Uh, so, so cool. Yeah. I so love we, that. You have to talk. You, you, you have to take over because I'm <laughs> exhausted from the drive and from a little bit of too much beer and wine tasting today. That's so okay. What are, what are we I, think you should stay, I think you should stay on the conversation since it is a podcast. I know that we can't see you for the recording, but, you know, you might want to pop in here and there um with your voice oh, yeah, I, I am going to stay on but i'm also oh, yeah I, I i do want to tell people that that my video for whatever reason from ireland has not been working on my zoom i've had a couple of zoom meetings where i can't see myself i can see who's talking to me but my camera won't operate for whatever reason there must be some sort of blockade or some other thing that you can't do somebody probably knows out there and they'll tell me too late because this one won't come out till i'm actually back in the states but uh, next for next time, I'm traveling for whatever reason. I have this little symbol of a camera with a line through it. <laughs> That's <laughs> it's okay. At. We're a podcast, so they don't need to see you. Um, I was going to share a little bit about um, the birth that I just did, <clears throat> but I've decided not to go into depth. I think I'd like to invite her and her doula onto the podcast at some point. But what I will tell you is I did have a transport and a C-section. I was thinking about it. It's the only C-section I've had this year. Um, and this, you know, I had um, my assist was out of town. So my friend Tanya drove down from San Luis Obispo, which is about a 90 minute drive to come and assist me. And um when I called her, I had just gotten there and I wanted to check and see how far along the mom was to see if it was time for her to come. And she was complete. It was one, maybe one 30 in the morning. And she's like, do you think I'll make it? I'm like, she's a prime up. And someone asked me what a prime up is. So prime up is a first time mom. A multip is a mom who's already had a baby. Um, so prime ups usually take a little longer. I said, yeah, it's going to be perfect timing. Well, (laughs) the mom was dilated and complete for 14 hours before we transported to the hospital. Um, and her contractions spaced out. She never got the urge to push. We tried a million trillion different things and we went in. So for the full story, I think we'll do a podcast, but I want to say that um, she was 42 weeks and we did a quote unquote natural induction at home to avoid having to have all the things that a hospital would do for an induction. And ultimately, I feel like that is the reason why this woman's labor didn't progress. And, you know, I see these posts and stuff online about licensed midwives serving the state and not really serving the family. I'm going to cry. Oh, oh. Yeah, I'm 
was so mad. I'm so mad. I feel like, um, I feel like our hands are really tied. You know, even people who practice like I do, who really, really avoid doing all of the things, you know, we're still pushed and we still push our clients, even though I know that she had choice, you know, she could have decided to wait and go into the hospital or not go into the hospital. Like she had her own choices, but of course that doesn't feel like a real choice when you have worked with a midwife for all of this time. And what you really want is to be at home with your midwife, you know? Um, I do. So uh, yeah, I don't want to share the details yet because I haven't really had a time to process with her and um, my clients usually listen to the podcast. <laughs> so I want to be really respectful of, of her journey, you know, but I'll, I'll circle back to it. Um, but the other well, things too, that I thought, I thought you would find really interesting, um, is that when we got to the hospital, really all we were offered was pain medication and surgery. Um, no one was willing to do a vacuum. No one was willing to do forceps. The doctor never actually really pushed with her. It was only the nurse. So, Nobody offered to maybe help turn and rotate the baby or anything. I mean, like there literally was very little options that were given to us at the hospital. And I would, you know, I would hope that in a more complicated situation that we would be able to get an obstetrician who actually had skills besides just surgery, but maybe those obstetricians don't exist anymore. I wanted to leave a little pause there because yeah, what you said is, you know, very important. And, you know, it's quite a teaser for whenever we do this podcast, because, <laughs> you know, seeing you, you know, I can see you, you can't see me, but, but I, I'm, I'm a little choked up now watching you get choked up. So uh, on, a, on, a, on another serious note along, right along that line about doctors not willing to do other things. I do want to say that the the fact that I got to spend some time with international birth workers, I was joking a little bit earlier about, you know, with this, with the nicknames and all that stuff, but it was really a great give and take. And I think that I'm one of the luckiest birth workers in the world because I get to travel around and I get to hear stories and share stories, which we and you and I have talked about is one of the best ways to learn things with people from all over the world. And turns out that we have a lot more in common than, than we think we do. And we have a lot of the same frustrations uh, in all the countries. Um, there are people that are, have woken up and realize, and there are women, and they, and they tell me that their mothers are waking up and realizing it. But in a lot of countries, at least they have very few choices whatsoever. But the, but the, the will to change things, I think, is is universal. And it's not going to happen fast enough for the liking of you and me, but it's going to have to, it's going to change. I mean, these countries that are really paternalistic, that that the C-section rate for, the average C-section rate for multips in Ireland was about 38%. Now, that includes repeat C-sections. But the C-section rate for multips in your practice or my practice, if anything, it's like 1%. Maybe. <laughs> you, can't say, you know, you can't say zero. So you say, okay, so it's one. 
but it's, and the overall section rate of, in these hospitals was over 40 is 38 to 40 percent in Ireland and even higher in the Czech Republic. For multiples, you're saying? No, for o- overall. Overall, uh-huh. I'm yeah. saying that they, some of the hospitals there had multiple C-sections rates over 40%. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> That's um, nice. And we all agreed that the that this is obviously not good for the mother. It's not good for the baby. It's not good for future generations of babies. It's not good. And part of the... the premise of my whole talk that during that time i teach a whole different style of breach and twin not the training itself although i i teach a practical style but my delivery is very much more just down to earth and honest it's not an academic program like breach without borders is it's it it, it starts to get into the nitty-gritty of why things are the way they are and we talk about cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias and and stage one thinking, and we talk about the the um, unethical behavior of almost every doctor's office in every hospital um, in the world. Because if you read your country's um, organization's code of ethics or guidelines for certain things, you realize that that these physicians are violating their code of ethics every single day with the use of coercion and the use of uh, of um, language to get people to funnel them down a path and not give them um, informed consent, but give them skewed informed consent. And and all these things are a violation of every oath that we've ever taken. And these things are universal. And it's nice for me to hear that there are people in Ireland and people in Hungary and people in uh, Czech Republic and other places, excuse the pun, hungry for an alternative to what's happening in their countries right now and yeah. a lot of us are frustrated because we're um, you know it seems like we're powerless to change it but i think so we're, not. we're not i think we're not, we're not. no right. we're not so thank you for that and um i do want to move forward because we do have a guest today um patty i'm gonna, bring, I'm gonna is- bring her on if that's okay with you and you can introduce her yeah yeah so we're going to talk about the benefits of meditation today um, and <laughs> it's a little different than the intro that we were talking about, but I think maybe it'll be good for me because I'm, I'm so, uh, feeling so emotional today. So <clears throat> Patty is a mother of two, a birth doula and a global educator of yoga for over 20 years and a vedita- Vedic meditation teacher. She is the founder of Uma Mother, whose focus is on elevating and expanding mother's consciousness through meditation, yoga, community, and education via her UMA class app, workshops, and retreats. So welcome, Patty. Patty, you need to turn your video on. Okay, I'm going. <laughs> so it's it's not fair because Hi. it's not Hi, fair beautiful. because your video is working and my video hey. here in Ireland is not working. So I get to see you, but you can't see me. Well, you said you oh, were a I'm just show, amazed. So. <laughs> yeah, I think it's so great that you could hop on from Ireland. This is wonderful, isn't it? Yeah, I'm eight, I'm eight hours I, ahead of you. I mean, it's it's dinner time here. It's morning for you guys. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's it's the sun comes up in the east and sets in the west. 
<laughs> same, as, same as it does there. Yeah, it's just I a bit of a time it. warp. Yeah. Anyway, you so look Patty great. And, and I'm waiting to hear what you guys have to talk about today because I have been uh, totally on the move. And I'm very honestly, I've done exactly zero prep. This is like the first podcast where I've I've come on, literally got to my hotel room, and six minutes later, I'm on the Zoom meeting with uh, with you two. So go. <laughs> well, I, I think that that's kind of perfect for for everything because you don't really need prep to for this. This is there's no there's no prep that we need for this conversation, right? Exactly. Yeah, I'm going to catch you up a little bit, Patty, as to what we were talking about, just so that you um, can can dive into the vibe of of where I am. I think Stu kind of explained where he is. Um, what we were talking about was catching up with Stu in Ireland, but also I had a really hard birth this week. <laughs> and um, mm. yeah, I'm feeling really emotional about um, feeling forced into um, manipulating a woman's labor because of the laws that we have. And, um, you know, most of the time that we meddle that way, because it's more gentle than what happens in the hospital, we have good outcomes. And this time we ended up in a transfer um, with not a lot of options and kind of a yucky hospital experience that ended in a C-section. And, um, you know, I know that you've been a doula for a long time too, and have sat in birth spaces. And so you, I've had the honor and privilege actually to, um, attend Patty's classes when I lived in LA and she's, um, a very special teacher and human. Um, so I just kind of wanted to catch you up so that you could not feel, you know, you could understand, where we were when we brought you on. Mm. I mean, isn't this just the, the challenge of the work that we do um, for all three of us, you know, when we, when we do what we can, and then we also feel that we have our hands tied behind our backs in so many ways. And I think that there's so much to, um, in the collective consciousness right now that is already at this place of high level stress that it's impossible to feel that we're, you know, we're, we're all part of like, like I always give the example. I'm like, you know, when we look at these fingers like this, they all have their individual names. They all do their individual jobs. You know, they all look different. And we forget because all we're doing is seeing them this way, that they are all connected to this hand and this body. And, um, and so it's impossible for us to feel, to not feel the effects of upheavals and of everything that we're watching and seeing. So not that we don't have these experiences, even when things aren't in upheaval, because historically there's always ebbs and flows, but I think that right now, especially, we're all feeling the upheavals of things shifting. Even if we are completely removed from it, we are part of the same, the same whole. So I think there's something to that. But also, you know, Bliss, and I know that you know this because we've had private conversations about things that are quite profound, is that 
nature organizes in mysterious ways. And one of the things that we're, we learn and we teach is that we can do everything right and we can provide everything the way it needs to be. And for some reason, there's some karmic entanglement that needs to live itself out. And how much are we trying to control or save that person from this? And I mean, this is parenthood 101, right? We birth our children and they are destined to go through their own journeys. And, um, and that's that bittersweet experience of it. And so as birth workers, we come in with this parental love and, and looking to educate people and teach them about what they can do and what they can say no to. And there's a place where we also have to let go and let the currents take, take us. But I know that we carry that with us. And there's always that place of like, could I have done this? And what if I would have done this? And, you know, and it's again, it's that place where we have to come back to letting go, we do our best. And, and I think this is a really good segue into the conversation that we're having today is, is why is a practice that takes us beyond the surface so integral and essential for all of us? because it's really easy to get caught in thinking, I am this pinky and this is my job. And I, if I do this and, and we forget sometimes that there is, there is a master plan that is so much bigger for everyone involved in that experience that you were involved in. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to, to talk about the benefits of meditation is because, you know, we did a, the idea came to me when we did a postpartum um, depression podcast recently. And that was one of the things that um, our guest mentioned was meditation. And it comes up a lot. I mean, I counsel people in meditation. Um, I think a lot of childbirth education classes talk to people about um, utilizing meditation as a birth preparation. Um, it's just a subject that comes up very frequently and across, across different cultures too. They might not all call it meditation, but when you um, start to go kind of down a spiritual path, many, many, many of the different um, disciplines will talk about using quiet time and listening to our inner voice and using breath work and things like that to be able to focus ourselves and to connect more. So I thought that having you on, um, since you specialize in this would be a really great introduction. Plus you're, you know, you've got so many amazing things going on. So, um, why mm -hmm. don't you talk a little bit about your history into, discovering meditation for yourself and why it's something that became important in your life. Okay. So I, um, I, I think for me, since I was very young, I remember having this uh, affinity and attraction to what now I know as meditation and what now I know as yoga, um, you know, even from like, you know, sitting on a balcony when I was five, when we went to Hawaii, and I would just sit on a pillow, and I would act like I was chanting to the birds. And I <laughs> felt this, I just remember, I remember being like five, and I can actually still put my pulse on that feeling of being bigger than just this, like being expansive is the best word that I could use. Um, and, you know, when we look at children, and I, and I'll go into my history, because I was a kindergarten teacher. Um, right. 
when we when we when we look at children, there is this magic that children have, and we call it magic, but it's really not. They're still in they're still in this space of expanded consciousness. Um, we haven't yet we haven't yet uh, brainwashed them enough or indoctrinated them into this humanness. And so they are they, they act silly without caring. They're very much in the present moment. Um, they're not as embarrassed about like just they're just so in in the moment and mm -hmm. little by little we start to kind of identities you know oh good job oh bad job oh this and so the identities start to build and build until we're really outside of you know we're really everything is the external locus of control is what's driving my identity essentially and so I do remember from a very young age always having this attraction to something that I would call like the magic stuff. And um, so I ended up um, uh, studying, uh, graduating with film and theater major before I went in to really follow this because I wanted to create music videos. I'm, I'm someone, I'm a child of the seventies. So when I was growing up, you know, music videos were very popular and I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to create storytelling through music, which was what music videos were. And that took me to New York after I graduated from Miami to New York. I'm Colombian, but I lived a lot of my life in Miami. And then I moved to New York. And when I was in New York, um, I walked into a center called Yogaville in the West Village, and it was the Sachidananda Center. And my entryway into yoga was I stepped into a meditation class. And it was like, for me, coming home. Um, and I started spending a lot of time in bookstores, reading about, you know, just all of these masters and it just information that for me felt very familiar, perhaps from a previous incarnation. And then I started practicing yoga and my life in New York really became a deep dive into self-realization, into those deeper layers of the self. And I decided to move back out of New York to get my master's in education because I knew that in some way it really wasn't, I, was, I wanted to be teaching children because I've always had a deep connection with children. And when I was getting my master's in education, I was in a, I walked into a yoga class and I, in the first five minutes when I heard that yoga teacher speaking, it, it was like this massive aha moment. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be a yoga teacher. And it was like this fear of like, holy shit, I, Sally Mae owns my ass right now. I've paid so much money in student loans. My parents are going to freak out. Like, what am I going to do? It was that moment of like, but how do you make a lot living out of that? And this was a while ago. This was like in 94. Four-ish, and um, and I just went with it, and I, I finished my master's. And when I moved back to Los Angeles, I knew I was going to come back here because this is where I was born. I got a job teaching in the Pacific Palisades as a kindergarten teacher, and every time when I finished doing what I needed to teach these five-year-olds, I was like, "Let's practice yoga." And so we would close the blinds and I would teach them yoga and how to act like animals. And I would put them on their backs and close their eyes and take them on this imagination journey, which was Shavasana. And they absolutely loved it. And I, I could see myself suddenly like, it was like, you know, the barometer would rise. And then when I had to do all the rote stuff and it was just not fulfilling. And so I realized quickly that I was not meant to be in the classroom and that I really wanted to be teaching yoga full time. So I left the school system 
in 2000. And I, I mean, I left kind of with a broken heart because I loved working with children at an age where they not have yet not fully kind of been put into the system of, you know, becoming like more structured. They still had a lot of goofiness and magic. And I went to, um, I dove fully into teaching yoga uh, in San Jose del Cabo. I moved there with my ex-husband to teach and we started all these yoga programs. And then we moved here in 2001 and I officially trained with the owners of a studio named Yoga Works. Um, and the woman who owned Yoga Works who has since then passed, she became my mentor and she pulled me out of the training and was like, you're gonna teach for me. And so I told my ex-husband at the time, we're not going to go back to Cabo. We're actually going to live here and teach for yoga works. And that's that kind of was my entry into becoming a yoga teacher back in 2000, 2001. And I became, a, I, was, I taught with them forever. And then I started to help them create their teacher trainings. And, you know, I started to kind of dive into prenatal yoga that way. And a lot. And before I was pregnant, I started to kind of really dip my toes into prenatal yoga because I was really fascinated with it. And then I became pregnant. And I remember so clearly feeling like, wow, I'm like, I am super, a superhero right now. I'm building a human. I remember the feelings in my body and everything around was, don't do this, don't do that. Like one of the books that most everybody would say, you need to read this book. It was just all fear-based. We know what, and we it know what didn't book you're <laughs> I know, I know, I know. No. So um, there weren't some, I mean, I didn't have access to some of the great books now. And I lived in the Palisades and I had just opened up a yoga studio there um, with my then husband. And and so it was when I remember thinking when I was pregnant, I, I remember us talking about and saying, should we, should we do a home birth? And it was like, everyone landed on me and they were like, no, you can't do that. That's super dangerous and blah, blah, blah. And, and, I got, I got swayed out of that and I ended up uh, choosing to do hospital births really just right here at St. John's with a really lovely um, OB who I've been a doula with. But I, I still remember when I had to leave my house when I was in labor and I remember thinking, I don't want to leave. And I remember walking into the hospital and feeling like the whole vibe changed. And um and I did have a doula. I had a doula. I'd hired a doula that I knew from Cabo. She flew in to support me. And, you know, I had a, I had two beautiful births. And um, but they they were at hospitals and I had two vaginal births. But I, I still remember a little bit of myself that was fighting off people who kept saying pain medication, pain medication. And I, you know, even though I was studying, I'd studied with Gurumukh, who uh, is a Kundalini yoga teacher. I'd really studied with her a lot and I had prepped myself. I didn't have like a community. I didn't know any midwives at that time. And, you know, like back to what I was saying, Bliss, everything, I wouldn't trade those experiences, even though they were not the experience I'd choose today, um, because they taught me so much of what I knew. You know, they taught me that my voice was silenced in some ways. And, and, um, and they actually sparked my interest to go deeper into the birth work which was when people started to say at that point, be my doula, be my doula. And I'm like, I'm not a doula. I'm not a doula. I'm not a doula. And then suddenly I was showing up at people's births to supposedly help them, but I wasn't a doula. And then it was closer to like to, to 2012, 2013, where I was like, okay, I've done a few of these. I guess I'm going to call myself a doula. 
<laughs> and I, uh, I, I started, I, I studied with Ana Paula and I really started to kind of like call myself a Duolingo more into the, into the prenatal work. So, um, which is like about 10 years ago, I would say 12 years of, of doing this, this work. And um, so it's like, you know, it kind of like everything, just all the stepping stones led me to this place. And because I was teaching a lot of prenatal yoga, I used to teach prenatal yoga classes at the Yoga Works on Montana for many years. And people still write me saying those were the best classes, because I don't know if you ever came into one of those classes, but it was like, 50 pregnant women and we were in there and we weren't just doing side stretches. We were like, there was like fire in that room. We were squatting and we were moaning and we were crying and we were laughing. And it was just, it was so powerful. And, um, and just little by little, the people started to come in, you know, I met you, I met Alex, I met, I, I just started to all of these like wonderful sisterhood started to appear and, um, helped me really like awaken the knowledge that that I have now and that I teach from now. And, you know, the meditation thing is I had, and I'll kind of segue to that is, so meditation had always been a part of my teaching, even in trainings, but it was even, you know, I had kind of dipped in Zen and in Buddhist techniques and in mindfulness. And I would teach the trainings, the yoga trainings, and meditation was always this small portion of the training and meditation was almost something like okay now we're going to meditate or class is almost over let's meditate or class is beginning and let's meditate and I think that at a certain point with my personal practice I started to feel like the asana practice was was just not taking me to the place that I wanted to be at personally and, and for those that so, and for those Patty, for those that don't know, um, asana, when, when Patty says asana practice, those are the actual yoga is a, is a whole lifestyle really. But as we often do in the States, we kind of take parts of different cultures that we find interesting and change them up, make it into quote unquote yoga works with all the yoga clothes and all of those things. Right. So asanas are the positions. (laughs) that we do in yoga classes that everybody thinks is yoga, but yoga is much bigger than just the asanas, which is the positioning. So that's what you were referring to. Yes, that's a really, really important clarification. And, and because actually yoga is not a practice. Yoga is a state. It's a state of union with big self and small self with, with, with our bigness. It's a state of that full unity of self. Um, But you're right, what we know as yoga here in the Western world is, is the physical practice of the poses, um, which has its place to guide us into that state. And so I was, I was seeking something beyond that physical practice. And I think as I also got older, there was just this place of you start graduating from some of those um, intense practices. Uh, I did Ashtanga and I did Iyengar and I had kind of done it all. And I started to really call in a teacher for myself. I, I, I found very much like you started this conversation, Bliss. Um, I would find myself in those in those positions like you, feeling just like the heartache of things. And I knew that I knew that there was um, there was a calling for me to bring bring a practice to all of these mothers I was working with that helped us really 
adapt and interact with this massive role that we take on. And, and I found it because when you're seeking something and it's starting to feel like, you know, these, this charm to seek something, it's because you're seeing the future in the making. And I found my teacher who is Tom Knowles, he's a Vedic meditation teacher. And I, you know, I went and I started going to India and I learned with him and I studied with him and I did a very extensive training um, to become a Vedic meditation teacher as after I started practicing it, because for me, it was a daily practice. It was no longer, I'm going to meditate when something bad happens, or I'm really stressed out, I should meditate, or uh, I'm on vacation, I should meditate, or I had a loss, I should meditate. It was like, you go to the bathroom twice daily, hopefully empty your bowels, you uh, brush your teeth twice daily, practices that we do like a ritual in order to keep the physiology, removing stress from the physiology, I look at meditation that same way. Same way that I do those practices is the same way that I sit morning and early evening to unstress the psychophysiology. And so so I started to really um, experience the, the powerful shift in my own wake, in the waking state, in my own life. Um, I started to notice a greater adaptability. I started to notice a greater um, lens of perception to look at things that we call bad and good in a different way. Um, I started to notice a way to interact with, you know, when the world is kind of like falling apart, suddenly you're able to notice different creative solutions. Um, and just, and so to me, it was so powerful that I was like, I have to share this with with everybody, especially mothers, because that's my main audience, but with as many people as I can, because I think, yes, we know that eating healthy is important. Yes, we know that sunshine is good for us. Yes, we know that, um, you know, we know all of these things, but to me, it's almost like working backwards. If our state of consciousness is not, um, in a place where we remove stress daily from it, then all of those other decisions are going to be dictated by my state of consciousness. So the way I see it is your state of consciousness is the foundation for everything. And it's what prints out the state of your body and it's what governs the physiology. So meditation is, is the foundation of the work that I like to teach. Bliss. What is Element? L-M-N-T. It's an amazing sponsor, first of all. We love them so much. But it's a tasty electrolyte drink with all of the good stuff and none of the BS, like... Us. That's right. <laughs> I taught you well. <laughs> it is. It, it's got a lot of uh, good salts in it and uh, no sugar. I even uh, took a little notes here and they have um, 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium, which helps maintain fluid balance, regulates your blood pressure, and supports muscle function, mood, and bone health. Which is great for pregnant mamas, breastfeeding moms, and absolutely for birth workers. So make sure that you have some in your in your birth bag if you need it or if your clients do in labor. For sure. Electrolyte deficiency or imbalances can cause like headache, cramps, fatigue, and weakness, especially in the birthing world. You know, a long time when we, before what I used to do it, but you still do. <laughs> You have a lot of sleep after being up all night and snacking on like not such good food sometimes. 
And I carry it with me whenever I travel and I add it to my water, like in the hotel room and stuff. And I've spent a lot of time recently in hotel rooms. It's a great sponsor and they've, they've been doing really well and I'm really proud to be um, supporting them. They have multiple flavors. Your favorite, uh, favorite is raspberry, right? Raspberry is mine and yours is mango chili. Yeah. But I, I do have I do have some sad news. Aww. So long, old friend, to Lemon Habanero. Oh, man. They discontinued it? So they could concentrate on citrus salt, raspberry salt, orange salt, raw unflavored, mango chili, chocolate salt, and watermelon salt. Maybe they're going to come out with some new stuff, too. But I trust <laughs> Elements. I trust that the, uh, they've done a deep dive into the research. They put their whole soul into it. We would like you to go to Drink Element. That's drinklmnt.com backslash birthing instincts, all one word. And when you do that, you'll get a free sample pack with your every order. Go do it. Go do it. Okay. So I want to, I want to, I want to pull apart some of the terms that you're using for people who maybe that's, these things are not in their vernacular. It's not in, in how they're thinking about their life. Like so me. you said, <laughs> like you used to. Yeah. yeah. Like me. Yeah. I'm not yeah. a, I'm not a, I'm not a, a yogi type person. That's not me. So yeah. I'm listening to this conversation. People don't, I'm, I've been very quiet, but I'm here and I'm listening. I've, I'm in as usual bliss. I'm taking notes. So get to me later. Will you? I will. Well, so you said, un, I think this is what you said. Unstress your psychophysiology. Is that what you said? Your mind and body. Okay. Can you, can you break yeah. that down a little bit more about what you yeah. mean by that and how yoga does that? And the other thing I would love for you to address is consciousness, because I think that that mm -hmm. word kind of is ambiguous, it's kind of, you know, it doesn't, it's hard to totally understand unless someone breaks it down for you or you've studied it. Okay. So let's start with, you know, we could really think of consciousness as everything, right? We can think of consciousness as consciousness is everything. But a lot of the times we refer to state of consciousness as the state of mind. So when we're talking about psycho state of the mind and the body physiology, so the mind and body, the state of my mind is shaping and because my mind is always speaking to my body and one in the same and I'm pointing up here to my head, but my mind is not really just up here. So the way that I think is, you know, the way that I think is constantly being felt by my body. So if I'm constantly under stress and I'm watching things that are stressful and I'm, you know, hearing things that are stressful and I'm taking that in, the body stores that stress in its chemistry. And so when I say that your state of consciousness, the state that you're in, is always speaking to your body, it always is. So I can put a million band-aids on the body, but if I'm not addressing the way that I think and how, you know, that, that inner voice, then I'm skipping ahead. So when we meditate, when we practice this style of meditation, we sit quietly and we sit with back support why? So that I don't have to control the body. Because this practice is all about not controlling. It's a, it's a practice of not focusing. It's a practice of effortlessness. And it's a practice of letting the body and the mind do what it knows how to do. So 
when you learn how to practice Vedic meditation, you study with the teacher in person that, that is teaching you through the purity of the tradition and they will give you, it's a four day course that you take in person and each day is about 90 minutes. On that first day, after a gratitude ceremony that's done with a teacher and you, you receive your mantra. And I'll explain what a mantra is. A mantra is a mind vehicle. Man means mind and tra means vehicle in Sanskrit. You're given a mantra that is designed and specific for you to de-excite the mind and the body, to de-excite the psychophysiology. So the job of this mantra that you think quietly and effortlessly and in a very faint way, this sound that has no intended meaning begins to de-excite your body and mind. And you think it, and you don't think it like, like rhythmically, you don't follow the breath, you're not controlling anything. You favor the sound, just like you'd favor a sound that's in the background right now. Like you're favoring the sound of my voice. You favor the mantra that's been given to you. And as you favor it, the, the mind starts to de-excite and the body follows the mind. And as the mind and body begin to de-excite, the body starts to say, pop the trunk open and let go of stress. Help me get back to factory setting. And so as the body starts to release stress, that triggers thoughts. Overthinking is a stress response. And so as those thoughts begin to rise or begin to come up, you will start, you will catch yourself wrapped up in this very seductive web of thoughts like, oh my God, I didn't email Stu or, oh my gosh, I didn't call my, you know, you, you know, those things come up or like, oh my God, when I like, you know, 10 years ago that because the body's releasing stress. And so you, when you recognize that those thoughts are coming up, you very gently come back to the mantra and you think it softly and eventually you're going to start forgetting it. And then thoughts are going to come up. And then you come back to the mantra and then thoughts are bubbling up. And what you're doing in those 20 minutes without controlling posture, without sitting upright, softening the belly, letting the, letting the stress come out is that your body is actually depleting stress inventory. You're giving this body a chance to sit still when you're not sleeping, to sit still and to do what it knows how to do, which is release stress. And as you start to gain deep rest, because as you, you think the mantra, the body starts to feel that sense of rest. When the body is experiencing deep rest, it releases stress. This is why we hear eight hours of sleep is really important. Eight hours or sleeping is really important. Why? Because it's in that horizontal rest that your body actually is like, okay, finally, she stopped moving. Now I can let go of stress. Because when we're doing... The body's like, it's like, okay, I got to keep doing, I got to keep doing it here. I'll put that stress in here. I got to keep doing, I'll put that stress in here. As it's picking up and listening, it's, it's, give, it's doing its best to function. So when you lay down, that's apparently when we heal and when we recover. But if I'm taking this body and I'm getting horizontal rest for eight hours and there's tons of stress in this body and, and tons of stress in my mind and body, then when I put myself in those eight hours, I most likely will not get a very restful sleep, right? I will probably toss and turn a lot because the body is trying to release stress. So what we do with this practice is twice daily, we park ourselves in a comfortable chair, whether it's plain, 
train, your your car, your car chair, a couch, somewhere where I don't have to hold the body up. Because even if I'm doing this, there's some control. But when I sit down and I soften the belly and I even maybe let the head drop and I have this technique, effortless, faint, innocent, natural, the body can release the stress. So when I open my eyes after those 20 minutes, I have a little more adaptation energy. I can actually interact. I can actually maybe have a creative solution to a problem that I didn't before. I may not get as triggered. Why? Because I gave this body a chance to release the stress. Beautiful. And so what Patty's describing is specifically Vedic. Vedic? Am I saying that right? Vedic? Vedic. Mm -hmm. Vedic. Um, yeah. meditation, but there's all different types of ways to meditate. And, um, yes. you know, I talk to my clients about there's, you know, walking meditation, you can have dances meditation, you can have just a, you know, the, for those people who think I don't have 40 minutes a day, you know, <clears throat> if you take five minutes to, to yeah. practice this once a day. It's something. And the other thing that I hear from people a lot, Patty, is I'm not good at meditation. Well, the thing <laughs> is, is that it's, it's a practice. So almost everybody, yeah. unless you're a master, when you sit down to meditate, it feels like you're kind of fighting your mind, that you're fighting those thoughts, because that's just a natural part of the practice. And the practice is different. You know, the one that you described is different from some other practices where you might follow your breath. This one has a mantra. It has a certain timing, mm -hmm. all of that. But the intention is consciousness to me, when I, when I, how I would describe it is that ability to be able to distinguish beyond the thinking brain, to be able to, to see that thinking from a different perspective. So the automatic that happens when we're not conscious about what, what we're doing is that we're, we're just responding to our thoughts or our feelings or whatever the external circumstances are. And we don't have that ability to be able to see those things and say, that may not be the, the best thought for me. That might not be the best action for me. Those feelings are something that need to be felt or sorted through. Um, so you're not just in this auto automatic way of walking through life. And so meditation, as you described it, which I thought was so great, is, is that you notice those thoughts coming up and you have a different way of being with them in that moment, whether it's following a mantra, whether it's breath, whether it's uh, you know, walking outside in gratitude and not allowing those those thoughts to kind of take over. And I loved the way that you described this particular practice. And I don't remember exactly what you said, but I was thinking about how that would be so helpful for women as they're starting to prepare for birth of the the softness and the noticing and the allowing the body, you know, in it in this meditation to release stress. But as you're practicing those things, it would be very similar as what you would do when you're walking through labor to allow the body and to let go of the thoughts and allow the body to do what it needs to do. And that sometimes takes practice. It takes practice mm -hmm. to get to that part yeah. where you can 
step into that. Yeah, and I think that to kind of take it a deep layer to what, of what you're talking about is when when we say consciousness, like, you know, consciousness can have many levels. What's really fueling that, that state of consciousness? If all that I'm doing is, again, back to the example of the fingers, if all that I'm doing is right here on the surface in the waking state, where I'm forcing, controlling, doing, and taking in and taking in, and not taking a moment to move beyond thought, then I'm going to identify as that. But when I start practicing moving beyond thought, which is what transcendence means, the word transcend means to move beyond. When we start to transcend, when we start to move beyond the thinking mind that, you know, that is constantly guiding me from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep, what I'm doing, when we're doing, it's challenging to move beyond the doing. But when we sit, and we allow ourselves to physically be still. And again, there's many meditative practices to like what you said, you're right. Like <clears throat> the release of dancing. Sometimes people say meditate, med uh, surfing is meditative. Walking is that being in nature is meditative. There, these are all meditative um, practices because there's, you know, there's a sense of moving beyond all of the things that we have to do. And it feels good to do these things. Yet when we actually creates when we stop the body and we let those things come through those thoughts bubble up then we're actually starting to unstress and when we start to move beyond thought and move beyond that we start to expand the consciousness we allow ourselves to to move into that unbounded field of awareness and that is a practice and and it doesn't you do not have to be good at this. You are that at your essence. You are that. You are not the finger. You are You are not the wave. You are the ocean. But it's easy to start feeling that you are a wave when all you're doing is living on the surface. And you're a different wave and I'm a different wave. But when we go beyond the surface, we realize that it's really ocean having a wave-like experience. And so when we meditate or when we're out in nature, sometimes when we see nature and we feel like, or we watch a beautiful sunset, what are we feeling? We're feeling a sense of connectedness to something so much bigger than this small self. So for someone, who is that more, more important for than for a mother, no matter what stage she is in? Because mother is the origin of all those waves, of all the tiny waves, it's mother that brings the wave through. And if mother is feeling that she is small wave, then that is going to be challenging. So when we start to do a practice on a daily basis, not just when something is happening, and you're right, for some people it might think like, oh my God, how can I do 40 minutes? You know what, 20 minutes on social media lie by like that <laughs> true. That's so it true. really is it is it, it it's live by 20 minutes fly by and you know mothers have special program where they can shorten the practice or or break it up so that they're getting those seatings because postpartum and you know life has a lot of demands for a mother in the different stages but the idea that you're starting to train your body to actually be still for a moment and have like this 
healthy version of an adult timeout where you sit and simply allow the stress to to release itself without trying to suppress it, without trying to control it, without trying to put a voice over it, um, but simply just allowing the body to do what it knows how to do, to kind of go back to factory settings. You may, in meditation, what we always say is you're not practicing this practice to become a good meditator. You're doing this practice to become good at life so that when you open your eyes and you're on the 405, you're a little less reactive to that truck that cut you off. Or you, or you can actually see someone who's on this side and someone who's on this side and realize that each side has its place and its truths. And so to me, that is, especially when we're finding ourselves in places where that collective consciousness is high stress, knowing that I am actually an extension of that, that means that if I start to raise my consciousness, it is felt by the whole. If a mother makes it a priority, to raise her consciousness, all the boats sitting on the surface rise with her. And so I, I, a lot of the times I refer to a mother as you are the lighthouse. You are the lighthouse for the whole family. That lighthouse is illuminating the path through those foggy chapters of life. And therefore it is of utmost importance that you are carving out the time and organizing the time, even if it's in small spaces, to tune out from that external locus of control and drop in to that expanded state that you are at your essence. So Stu, I have a question for you. I'm shocked. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> what is one thing in a woman's pregnancy that she can control? Because so much is out of our control. Uh, her nutrition? That's right. And we are so excited to be partnered with such an amazing company as needed because they have focused on pregnancy, postpartum as being some of the most nutritionally demanding time in a woman's life. And it can be influenced by her nutrition status. So they support women during this time with all kinds of amazing products. Their line just has so many options. So make sure and check them all out. But Stu's going to tell us a little bit about um, their immune support because it's turning fall and we need that a little bit more right now during this time. Yeah, Needed has an immune support, uh, which is a popular choice right now with all the back to school germs and heading into the winter when we all tend to get sick more frequently. And the people ask sometimes, well, if I'm pregnant, can I take this product? And of course, yes, it was formulated uh, for pregnant mamas in mind. So it's uh, recommended and safe in pregnancy. Or it's intended to complement, not replace other products that they offer as well. So it's just one of those things that you add to your, you know, your prenatal vitamins, your probiotic, your maybe your stress support, your sleep and relaxation support. But Bliss, I wanted to talk about something else today. Don't forget the men. That's right. We love the men. Right. So they have a sperm support, uh, men's pre and probiotic. And they say men play a critical role in conception and healthy pregnancies. I, I, I imagine that's true. <laughs> <laughs> they do. <laughs> the preconception health can significantly impact both fertility outcomes and also the health of their future children. Needed's Men Fertility Plan is a must for couples trying to conceive to support the multiple components of fertility, including sperm health, gut health, optimal nutrient levels, and testosterone levels. 
which by the way, are falling worldwide. So you can do this and it works. Why not? I trust Needed's products with my patients because they use scientifically studied ingredients and perform rigorous third-party testing. And unlike other products on the market, Needed designs their products from the ground up using the latest research and insights from men's fertility practitioners. So, you know, we are a woman's podcast mostly, but I don't want those dads to feel excluded. So head over to thisisneeded.com and use code BIRTHINGINSTINCTS for 20% off your one-time order. That's right. Thanks, Needed. I used to teach parenting classes um, and it was created by a PhD um, and she and a family therapist. And she used to describe it as, you know, it's kind of like lowering your boiling point because if you, if you are always on stress, like you're talking about, which life just kind of inherently now does to us, right. Unless we manage it. Um, So if you're feeling kind of already at that peak of boiling over and your children are running around and you've had a hard day and you're trying to manage all the things, the likelihood that you will blow up or behave in a way with your children, that is not something that you really want. It's not what you're trying to create in your family life. If you take that time to bring down that boiling point through meditation then the likelihood is that you're not going to have these outbursts where you'll look back and be like, "Ugh, I wish I hadn't snapped at my husband or, you know, talk to my kid that way. And so it's great practice for everybody. And I'm going to, I'm going to come to you, Stu, because I want to hear your questions. So it's great practice for everyone, but I can see specifically in the, in the conversation that we're having about how this is a beautiful preparation for birth and, and, the transition from maiden to mother, right? Birth is this rites of passage. We're stepping over this threshold. We're learning things about ourselves. We're getting challenged so that we stretch so that we can be that kind of mother that you just described, the kind of mother who can be the lighthouse for their family. And then the continual practice can help us be able to eliminate the stress and be able to, um, be proud of the way that we're walking through life with our families, you know, and this is a process and it, it, it's not something that automatically, like some people are good at it and some people are, it's a practice of, of utilizing this tool to be able to walk through life in a way that we can lead, you know, and yeah, life is hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. You're right. It, it, it is very hard. And therefore it is, it, it is a ritual that I hope becomes more and more popular as an everyday ritual. Like this is why I want to simplify this to its most basic blocks. Just like you brush your, you brush your teeth twice daily. Why? We know this. We know that if, because if we don't, we're eating, we're putting things in our mouth, we're breathing, all these things. So there's an accumulation of bacteria, which we can call stress on the, on the mouth. We, why is it so important that we do MCR bells? Because we know that those are toxins that the body's gonna accumulate and we wanna empty them out. Yet, there's not a greater talk about how am I eliminating stress that I take in through my senses? What I see, what I hear, what I read, 
what these satellites that I have that are my senses that are constantly taking the world, why is that not a daily practice? When that elimination of stress is going to help the functionality of all of the systems in my body, because this body will do its best to store stress in its compartments. And it might be in this shoulder and it might be over here and it might be in my gut or it might be in my knee because the body's like, I got to do something with the stress chemistry. Yeah. And so we think about like preconception and, and the stressors that we have, you know, with fertility or trying to get pregnant and, and all of that. And if, if this is the work that I do with people who are trying to conceive, First and foremost, before we choose path A, B, or C, let's get you into a state of consciousness where you're not being driven by that sympathetic dominance. And I'm talking about like when we think of our nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system, both equally important. You know, we we need that sympathetic system to help us take flight to help me, you know, remove myself from something bad to help me. And then the parasympathetic is our rest, digest, stay and play. And the para, the sympathetic is the, you know, fight or flight or freeze. We need that for a moment, but we're not designed to stay in that. And the way that the modern world is, is it's kind of the ground, the, the gears are getting stuck in that sympathetic dominance, because as soon as I wake up, I have a device that's showing me the world. I have a lot of this. There's more things to do. And then you cut to a mother who is juggling all of that. And I, I think for everybody, but I'm going to stick specific to mothers because this is, you know, a, a show that's very much geared toward families and mothers. And so um, where does that person move beyond all of that in their sleep? Because as soon as you wake up, it's like, go, 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 go. So we start going into that, into that stream of sympathetic dominance over and over again. And we know that that leads to dis-ease. And we know that that leads to inflammation. And we know that that means I have less range of perception. My perception does this. Physiologically, my perception closes when I have to get away from something. I can't see all around me. And so this cascade of primal responses that the body has are to get you away and then we're meant to kind of come back. But it's very difficult to do that when we have such high ac accumulation of stress. So when we're trying to conceive, for me, that is right away, what are you doing for stress management? On a daily basis, not once a week, on a daily basis, something simple, incredibly simple, sit down and meditate. There's, there's no good meditators. Everybody <laughs> could meditate as long as they could sit in a chair, everybody from yeah. a child to, uh, right? And yeah. then you cut to pr pregnancy. In pregnancy, the body is actually under more stress because it's building more. So there's more stress on the organs. There's more stress on, on the whole physiology and then from the outside. Yeah. essential for that mother to have a practice where she unstresses the psychophysiology. Why? Not only for her, but because within her is a galaxy of another life form taking human form. Love that. They are, they are beneficiaries of your chemistry. 
is there a lot of stress chemistry or is there more bliss chemistry? <laughs> bliss. <laughs> bliss chemistry, meaning that essence of that we feel when we look at nature, that, that state which is our essence is bliss when we start to unstress, right? So for me, it's I really would love to see more mothers meditating as their baseline because then those decisions they make that means that mother might make a decision to have the home birth. That means that mother might unstress herself so much and be like, you know what? I've done all my research and I'm deciding to birth in the OR. Not my choice. My job is to make sure that the decisions that you are making are coming from a state of consciousness that is not overwhelmed with stress. I don't know what's best for you. I don't know what's best for you and your baby. That's nature's, that's, that's your journey. My job is to provide you with the tools. Then we cut to postpartum. You know, the same thing. Postpartum is a state of, stage of depletion. We've birthed a human. We've birthed a placenta. We've lost blood. The body definitely needs a place where it can start to remove stress and gain deep rest. Another great benefit for meditation. And then, and so on. You can keep going and keep going. You could go into parenting. A parent that, like you said, that example, you know, in my days, I remember them saying, put the baby down and count to 10, <laughs> right? It was like, <laughs> yeah. when you're feeling that you're going to do something that overwhelms you, and I think I will speak to it. I consider myself a pretty grounded person. And I have two kids that were very close in age. I got divorced when my kids were young. And you remember feeling this like, oh my God, I could flip really quickly and do something that's like crazy. I, I remember feeling that place where I could really relate to that, that turning of the curve where the stress is so much, where the crying is so much, where you're depleted and you feel like, and so if we don't already have a foundation that helps us become the witness to it all, then we can more easily be pulled into that reactivity. Yeah. I love it. I love, I love that you said the galaxy inside, it was just like I, some of your languaging is so beautiful. Stu, I want to hear your questions. Mm -hmm. What do you think about all this? Okay. <laughs> well, I hope I can do this conversation justice. Oh, of course you can. <laughs> um, I love our podcast. Me too. <laughs> because I get to learn as much as I get to teach and preach and having guests on like Patty Cantero is just, just listen to you, Patty. I saw myself settling into my chair. My head went down. My breath slowed down. <laughs> it was because I've had, I've had a day you missed the, but I've had a day and you know, I am a bit OCD. So letting go is not an easy thing for somebody like me. And when I talked about not prepping for the show, you know, you guys easily get blow that off. But for me, it's something that is hard for me to let go of that. But listening to this last 45 minutes of you guys just talking, I'm feeling really good right now. And you mentioned something, mm -hmm. things I wanted, I wanted to notes I made early on, you mentioned something about childhood innocence. And I think it's really good to be silly sometimes. And that comes in many forms, but we need, we all need that. For me, sometimes when I'm outside and the wind is blowing, I stretch my arms out and I pretend I'm running into the wind and taking off and spinning around and, you know, just screaming really, really loud, um, just like a little kid might do. I still remember my little kids in the yard doing all that. And 
jumping in the leaves and and all the things that as an adult you're not supposed to do those sorts of things but we need to do those sorts of things and then not all yeah. of us are good. as you guys said not all of us are good at what at everything and sometimes we need a guru some people turn to bliss and i for birth stuff but for something like meditation i hope that our listeners will find take take a moment to the, dissect the things that you've said and try to sort of apply them into their own into their own world and change just little changes because you can't expect to be good at everything um also we are stresses are poured upon us every day and and in our world what those stresses end up doing and the word that you guys never mentioned is they become fear and they and they they build up inside of you and they become fear and this is where something where you mentioned the, uh, a man named Tom Knowles. You and Alex in your Under the Hood podcast introduced me to Tom Knowles, and I actually did a deep dive into him because one of the things that he talks about is something that I found very, very interesting, which was premature cognitive commitments. And I'd like to just, if I take take a couple minutes to just sort of express what I know about them and then get your thoughts on if I'm sort of on target or not. Because one of the things that happens in my world when I teach, I teach about breach and twins. And one of the things that people ask all the time is, why, if you say the word breach, does it scare everybody? Why is everybody scared about it? Why does it immediately conjure up something? And a lot of things in pregnancy do that. And maybe it's because when we're from the time we're very little on, we're sold screaming women on television. We're sold tales from our grandmother or our aunt about scary things and it plants these sort of seeds inside of you that you say then you you had a better way of saying it but they they live inside of you and you've sort of forgotten them but they come back and manifest themselves as physical traits rather than mental traits and here's what here's what i i have described i i said premature cognitive commitments and i give tom knowles credit that his spell his name is spelled t-h-o-m-n-k-n O-L-E-S, for those people who want to look him up. We'll put Uh, him in the show notes. Well, yeah, we'll put something in the show notes. (laughs) But it says, creates opinions about reality that cannot be changed by any contrary evidence or persuasion. Information initially perceived as irrelevant may be uncritically accepted. If that information later becomes relevant, persons become victims of their premature cognitive commitment. So... A stressful event can produce chemicals in the brain which create an uncomfortable reaction and the memory of all that occurred. And the example that I often use in this is say you, you're, you're, at, you're, at, you're at your job and you get called in by your boss and you get a bad review and you get fired. And it's very traumatic for you. And sitting on your boss's desk is a vase filled with orange Gerber daisies. 20 years later, you walk into a cocktail party and on the coffee table are orange Gerber daisies and suddenly you don't feel good. You feel anxious. You feel stressed. You don't even know why anymore. But your body associated something with something that long time ago had really, the the Gerber daisies were were innocent, but yet they were affiliated uh, uh, with the traumatic event and they become part of the traumatic event. And later on in life, 
you come across something like orange Gerber daisies and suddenly you feel the same autonomic stress that you mentioned earlier, this, this secretion of things that, but you don't even remember, you don't remember why you just do, and you got to get out of there. You got to deal with that. So I think what I got from your talk was about if you can learn to master those feelings with through meditation, that those we don't have to turn on those things. We don't have to do what Bliss described, like yell at our children or get mad, you know, get mad at our spouse because of something that happened to us 27 years ago that's still living inside of us because we haven't figured out a way to get rid of it. Does that make any sense? That's great. I I I want to chime into that because I, I love that you brought this up because it's very relevant to our conversation. So you're talking about PCCs, premature cognitive commitments, and your example of the person who's, you know, you're you're being fired and the flowers are there. So what happens is we know that when something intense happens, all of our senses take a snapshot. Like if we were sitting here and something to all of us, we all heard something happen. Each one of us would take a snapshot of that and store it in a different way. The key to this story is who is the person receiving that experience. The way that you would respond to that, Stu, the way that Bliss would respond and the way that I would respond is all going to be different. We all will will react and, and have the feelings, but a stressed out physiology, someone who has a lot of stress chemistry, for that person, it will make a groove in them. Kind of like if you if it hits concrete. For the other person, the same experience will happen, but it's like hitting sand. It'll hit deeply, but after a little while, you know, it'll erase itself. For the third person, it'll hit maybe even deeper. But like if it hit water, you take that out and then soon after that's gone, that person has adapted. So we're talking about adaptability and interactivity with life. It has everything to do with stress and how much stress accumulation there is in each one of those people. So for you, that experience, and I'm just giving you as an example right now in the story, for you, Stu, it might be like, it might completely derail you. You'll always remember that experience. The orange flowers will always trigger you when you walk into my house and you see them. You're like, I don't know why I'm feeling yucky, but I don't feel so good. And it's because your body is saying red flag. There's those flowers of when this happened and that's not really relevant so you are you're responding in an irrelevant way you can't be as relevant as possible for the other person it might have hit deeply but you know they're like okay it was bad they see it they have a slight memory but it doesn't affect them as much and for the third person it might be like wow you know what that was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because that job was toxic because i probably was wishing for that to happen and they are able to turn it around and adapt. And it's not a matter of mastery. I feel like I want us to really bring it to a place of stress physiology. It's like our phone cannot function properly when it's overloaded with stuff. This is why it can't take, an old phone won't take a, a new operating system. An old car, if it's not tended to and, and it's not given like regular visits and lube jobs and all that, it will function, but it'll probably use more gas if it's a gas car, et cetera. So we can look at these different, you know, 
these different things like a car, like the same with us. If we, this body can only do so much if I, if it's accumulating and accumulating stress on a daily basis. So I think that, you know, to kind of talk about pre, uh, you know, preconceived cognitive commitment, um, premature cognitive commitments. If I am showing up to an experience, if I show up to a birth with you know, with a di in a different state of consciousness, with less stress in my physiology, I, I meditate every day, something intense can happen. Will I feel it? Yeah, actually, I'll feel it probably deeper because my senses are very sharp. I'll feel the pain a little more deeply. But I can find a creative solution, I can find greater perspective, I can actually be of greater service to the person who's going through something, because I have greater adaptability and perception of it all. This is so important because this, this is, yeah, you said it brilliantly because as you're saying it, I'm just thinking of, of like a story of three colleagues and not any, it's like the three bears, but there's three colleagues who all experience some bad outcome because we all will if we practice long enough. Um, some will, it'll, it'll scare the bejeebers out of them. And they will never want to, they'll want to leave the profession. Some will scare them so much that they will then intervene and, uh, and become a physician who, who just does sections and, and all that stuff. And the other one will have had the same bad outcome, but they'll realize, as you said, that, yeah, that happens. It's traumatic. I feel terrible. The other ones have actually... You're, as you said, they've closed themselves off from feeling about it. They've deviated down a different path. Yeah. One that stays with it is probably the one that feels old. I mean, like it brings us back to Bliss's feelings this, uh, on, as we started the podcast today. I mean, how many obstetricians or even certain midwives would be would be would be crying about that? They 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 yeah. there 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 are some sure. But there are some that would take that would that's not maybe a bad enough outcome to say I don't want to be a midwife anymore. But there are those things where we've all experienced them and and we go down different paths. So it's really interesting the way you describe that. I, I uh, that was my point is that is that it answers the question sometimes when people ask, well, why do doctors do things a certain way? Well, they've either been conditioned to do them that way, or they've experienced something that way, or they've. You know that, but that's how they're—they're they're not dealing with it in a way that's constructive. In other words, and you well, know, and and you can, yeah, you can speak ahead. to this too because you you went to medical school and you know the way the stress that that training has. And are the are doctors getting med is one of their main prerequisites to meditate every day because they are going to step into such a stressful field and because they are going to be. You know, whatever it is, I, I for me, it's less about you're wrong and you're right. It's like, is that person give, given the chance and the training to de-excite their mind and body on a daily basis so that they can be more relevant in situations, so they can have more empathy, so they can have more compassion, so they can actually be curious to different ways. Like all of those things come down to the state of consciousness that you're in. Yeah. And I love, you know, we were focusing on moms and all of that, but I love, Stu, that you brought in the importance in a practitioner as well. And um, 
one of the things that I learned when I was going through school from one of the elder midwives is that it's our responsibility to come in as an empty vessel to every birth and to not bring our day, our personal stresses, the stress from the last birth or any of those things to this woman's birthing space because she deserves the ability to have someone there who is only present to what's happening in her experience and in her room and be able to hold that soft, loving, compassionate space for them to do that. And I think you're right. I think many, (laughs) probably most doctors don't have that as part of their daily practice. Um, I'm not sure that midwives do either, but, um, but I think it is, you know, however we get there, this is one tool, right? There are many tools that we can utilize to be able to walk in as an empty vessel. But I do think that it's a good point that this is a tool that could be utilized. And I loved how simple you made it to be able to let go of some of those things that it's important for our bodies and our minds to be able to let go of. And the other thing I wanted to say that we didn't really say is we talk a lot about building our immunity here on this podcast um, and utilizing um, tools to eliminate stress. And meditation is a really great thing to do so that we can eliminate the stress and that helps our immune system be stronger. So it's just a couple of other things to weave in in terms of why in the world would we want to sit down and meditate. So Bliss, we have a not new sponsor for Fit. <laughs> They've been with us for a while now, so we can't call them new anymore. But they do have some exciting new news as BirthFit has its newest member as our friend Lindsay ha- had her baby. So congratulations, Lindsay and family. Yay! Yeah, BirthFit is focused on supporting women throughout the motherhood transition with general strength and conditioning programs for preconception, pregnancy, and the postpartum. Tell us a little bit about their programs. You know what? They cover you for all aspects of feminine care and birth and postpartum. It's really amazing. So the BirthFit Basics is a prenatal program. is 30 days, no equipment necessary for any trimester of pregnancy. So you could try that out before you jump in further. And then they have a prenatal training program, which is full strength conditioning that requires minimal equipment like dumbbells, bands, and a box. I had a client the other day who was laying in bed like a good client um, taking my suggestion. She's like, you know, just laying in bed nursing all day. I'm feeling a little sore. You know, any stretches? And I said, you should really try this lying in program that they have. It's great for postpartum. It's 30 days, one video a day, less than 10 minutes that focuses on reconnecting and honoring your body in the immediate postpartum through breathing exercises, visualization, and belly massages. I mean, come on, that sounds amazing. It is amazing. And then, yeah, and then they have um, kind of an intermediate birth fit basics, which requires no um, equipment. So that focuses on foundational breath work and movements to reestablish a solid foundation of core and pelvic floor stability before you go back to any other fitness classes. But they also have a more extensive postpartum program, which is 12 weeks focused on building a base level of general fitness through simple lifts, tempo work, and of course, breath work. Yeah, the birth community is where you want to be if you're trying to conceive or know you want to be in the next one to three years. This is a monthly membership program by Women for Women that focuses on general strength and conditioning with respect around one's menstrual cycle. So go to birthfit.com 
and use the code INSTINCTS1, that's the number one, to get a discount on the basics prenatal program or go to birthfit.com, use the code INSTINCTS2 to get a discount on the basics postpartum program. We love BirthFit. It's OB and midwife approved. Absolutely. And go check out Lindsay. I mean, she looks great. And she did her own fitness program throughout her whole pregnancy and had an amazing birth. So check it out. Well, you have to get going pretty soon. So I'm not sure if there are any things that like we haven't talked about yet that you'd really like to kind of bring into the conversation before we close. I think that anyone who's listening to this, if it starts to kind of feel like too big or too far away, we have to really simplify it. Simplify it. If it's if it's not Vedic meditation, there are apps and there's many different modalities of meditation. I like that for me, particularly this one works because of how simple and effortless it is and self-sufficient. I don't need to have an app. I don't need to have a teacher. I don't need to have... I don't need to be in a, in a sanctuary. I am the sanctuary. So all I need is a chair. So, but again, if it's an app or if it's, uh, you know, a guided relaxation, which I also have some of those guided relaxations on the app, or it's something that is taking you from that surface of, I need to control this. I need to get this. I need to do this. I need to know this. Um, just to, to, to be able to quiet the mind and body to a certain place. And we can see this when we actually go on a hike and suddenly we finish that hike and we're like, ah, okay, I feel a little better. Or we have a really good sweat and we dance and we feel a little better. Or we get into the cold plunge. I mean, there's so many modalities that we know that help us help us move beyond that like spin cycle. So, so the main thing is to make any of those rituals that work for you a priority, even if it's for small little bits, even if it's 10 minutes here, um, to really disconnect from the technology and, and, and make those a priority. Um, but also when we're talking about meditation to, to think of it like in almost that crude expression that, that we were talking about, like your car, if you are going, 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 you are not going to be able to have the adaptability and the ability to interact and the ability to um, to really see extended self in each other because you you start to close the horse you know the the the, the 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 lens of perception. So whenever we're feeling in moments where we're feeling like I'm helpless, what can I do? This is so confusing. How am I bringing children into this world? That is the biggest prompt to go bigger to get out of this small space and to go bigger and to really actually dive deeper into what you truly are. It's doubting nature's intelligence to do that. It's doubting nature's intelligence. So if anything I would say is, you know, for me, I, I'm, I'm, everyone has their path, but find those spaces in nature that you could unload stress, find, you know, a meditation practice that works for you and realize that you don't have to be good. There's no pro at anything. Just do it. Start doing it. Start training this gross body what it's like to actually be still, to not suppress the thoughts. If if being silent is too much, maybe a guided meditation will be the entryway for you. Um, so find what works for you, but make it a priority for you because you can only give 
you know, what, because what's coming through you is all you can give. So if I'm loaded with stressors, that's what's going to drive my vehicle. And that's what's going to limit my perception. And so um, that's my main message in all of the offerings that I have. I still teach, you know, yoga classes so that we can move our bodies because somatic, somatic practices are really important. Um, and uh, community is really important. But in places and in times where we feel overwhelmed, that is the biggest calling to, to expand, to go bigger, and to be of service because it helps us get outside of ourselves. I love that. Stu, is there something um, still on your mind that you wanted to ask or say before we wrap up? No, no, I'm just very concrete. And I just love Patty's example of the fact that, yes, we should all take care of our cars, but we shouldn't take better care of our cars than we take care of ourselves. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, I think examples like that resonate. Yeah. Um, as you were talking, Patty, um, about being able to like the, the lens of perception being really limited and, and dropping into meditation can help expand that. I was thinking about this woman at, that I interviewed with yesterday and she's trying to decide between the birth center and, and home birth. And her husband feels more comfortable with the fact that the birth center has all the things there and the temperature of the bathtub is regulated. And like, that's kind of how they're thinking about making this decision. And I, you know, I talked to her about the mammal part of her and the hormones and how wherever she feels like she's going to be able to open that's that's how she should choose and we had a text exchange last night and I reminded her I said I know you're going to make the right decision for you I just want to remind you to come from where you feel like you can open and wherever that is you can't go wrong that's the right choice for you and she said you know when I hear you say that something inside of my soul stirs and I said yes listen to your soul. Because so often when we're making these decisions or we're thinking about life or pregnancy, you know, it's the, those concrete legitimate like things. And we, and it does limit our perception to this fear-based perspective. And if we can, whether it's meditation or walking in nature or talking to somebody who sparks something inside of you, that soul resonance, that deeper part of yourself that's like, that's interesting, that feels good, that settles me, then we can, we can think from a larger perspective. And that's what it reminded me of, you know, how do we, how do yeah. we get in touch with, with that sweet love, soul, deep, yummy parts of ourselves that are really trying to guide us towards something that's beautiful and meaningful and that's, that's how I would love everybody to walk through life, honestly. Yeah. And, and that is a calling. What you're giving her is a calling to de-excite, to establish in being before you take action, before I make that decision, before I write the email, before I go into the establish in being, establish in being, establish in being, not in doing, in being, in being, in that place that you are not the singer you are all of it. You are universe. And in, in Vedic worldview, we don't really say, oh, the universe is doing this. 
I am the universe. I am the universe. So my greatest practice, the most important thing for me, establish in being. And then when I open my eyes, I may have to make that tough decision. I may have to actually say, you know what? That is the medication I'm going to do. We need to get more sophisticated we with how we look at things, you know? And so as practitioners, those of us who are doing the work of waking, waking up, we always have to check ourselves. Like the waking up for everybody is going to be at different levels and they're all perfectly, everyone is exactly where they need to be. So my work is to continue to expand myself because I know that when I'm elevating my consciousness, I don't have to force anyone to do what I'm doing. I just do it me. I'll do it myself. And then, the you know, that's going to, to be felt. You are both light exporters. We're all exporting our light. And so we're not afraid to go into the darkness because we know that that's where we're here. We're here to do. We're here to export light. But we are not here to force people to think like us or be like us because we understand that there's a play in it all, right? And so all I know is that I'm going to export light. In order to export light, I need to, I better make sure that I am tending to that light. So my light is as bright as it needs to be in all those dark spaces that we travel into. Oh, I could talk to you for like ever. <laughs> yeah. So beautiful. So beautiful. Okay, tell people how to find you. Um, how can they connect with you and work with you and learn more from you? I, um, well, Uma Mother is my company and Uma right now has a, a class app and yeah. I also have an online community called The Mothership. And, you know, our phase two is going to be to bring them all together so it can be one place where you find it all. But you can find all of this at umamother.com. Um, I have the Uma Mother Instagram, which is a place where I sometimes hop on and post things that feel inspiring and guidance and education. I'm really big on education. Um, so you can, you know, you can take workshops that I offer. There's going to be more retreats next year because a lot of people are asking to be in person again. And I used to lead retreats before and teach a lot of, uh, you know, the mothership was this big gathering of mothers where I would, we would practice yoga, we would meditate. And um, so that's all coming back in the, in the new year. So I think the best place to find me is at Uma Mother. And then if you are interested in learning Vedic meditation and you're in Los Angeles, I'm happy to teach you four days in person and you will be a self-sufficient practitioner for the rest of your life and also have my guidance there. But if you're not in Los Angeles and you're listening to this from somewhere else, find me either at Uma Mother or at pattyquintero.com, which I'm sure you'll put in the in the notes. And I'm happy to connect you with a colleague who can teach you. This is it's, it's such a valuable practice to have. And it's a practice that just keeps on giving to everyone you come into contact with. So. Yeah, love it. That's Thank me. you for being with us at the last minute. I know we had been talking mm -hmm. about finding a time and you just jumped right in. So thank you so much for that. Um, I love the work oh, that you're doing. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. I, I just want to say, I just want to send the love back to both of you because the work that you're doing is so powerful. And the, the, the beauty that I see in the two of you working together and the different energies that you bring to the show is just, it's so powerful and so beautiful. And I've really watched the two of you grow together 
as you've started this podcast. So congratulations, because I know it's I know it's a, a passion project for you. Oh, thank you. Patty. You're making you're making a big difference. You're making a big difference in the work that you do. Thank and you're you. and you're making that difference in the origin, which is, you know, birth, we, we have to start in the beginning. So we have less band aids to put on the rest of the the rest of the years, right? Absolutely. Thanks okay. again for being our guest today. You can drop off. Stu and I are going to wrap up. Um, we'll see you very Great. soon. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Lots of Bye, love. Patty. Bye. So how you feeling? You guys are my guides. You are my guides. Both of you. <laughs> Isn't she beautiful? I just ugh, love, yeah, love, it, love. I almost, I it was perfect for today. I, I needed, I needed this, this <laughs> podcast to, to unwind from, from the, I mean, it's, it's a great day, but it was just a crazy, it was a crazy day. And yeah. I, I don't, I do take care of my car better than I take care of myself. Mm. So I have to, I have to take some uh, hard looks and what I'm going to do. And I'm going to have to find ways of, well, I already am. I mean, I've been doing, I've been changing a lot of things in my life last year and a half. So, um, but I never thought of things the way that Patty puts them in words. So I, yeah. I hope that our listeners will gather from that. And, you know, for some, this will be redundant, but you know what? You can never, I, you know, when I hear stories about breach birth, it's not like I, I'm bored by them. I, I, I love them. So hearing, hearing, People who already know about this subject, hearing somebody else talk about it like Patty, that would be great. And if you don't know anything about the subject, then it's even greater, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I feel the same as you. It's just the tone of her voice and the way that she uses words um, to create imagery. It's I just, yeah, I just love, love learning from her. So thanks for uh, following my lead on that one. And you know what I was thinking about, like when you were talking about your OCD and like not feeling prepared and, you know, all of that, that's the great thing about partnership, you know, is that it doesn't always have to be you. That's the one that does it all that you can have somebody who can, who can, uh, you know, fill in when you're not feeling your best or when you feel like you just can't quite get there. Um, that's the beauty of two of us. It is the beauty of two of us, and I'm very happy for people that have that in their life. It's sometimes very hard, though, if you've been let down a lot in your yeah. life to, um, to rely on people to do that. You're, you're, for me, very reliable, but there are people in my life who are much less so reliable, but they're still in my life and will always be in my life. So I, you know, I have been the one that people have leaned on all the time, yeah. every time. And it's really interesting. They'll, there are people who will let you down consistently and then they'll ask you a favor. And if you say, well, I can't get to that today, they're, they're pissed off. Like, <laughs> so, they say that it's a sign of a narcissist, actually, by the way. Well, that's true. And it's also, it's also, um, uh, yeah, it's, there, there's a little self-awareness there when they say that, which I guess is the sign of probably a narcissist, right? I mean, right. you know, maybe it's just the tendency. Maybe they're not full-fledged narcissists, but you know, yeah, it goes both ways. But there so are, you know, I love you. Oh, I, I love you too. I but they, I, I just want to say they they establish, we establish patterns of behavior, and people have then become become expectant of them. And if yeah. you're somebody who always is, you know, doing things for people, then people begin to expect that, 
And for somebody yeah. that never does things for people, people don't ask you to do stuff anymore. And that's, <laughs> that's too. I don't know if that's good or bad or not. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, it's really um, good. Yeah. So have a wonderful time where you are in Belfast. And I know you're wrapping up your evening, but I'm sure that you'll have great adventures ahead of you. And then going on to London, that's also exciting. Hey, remind me, we are doing our talk, bringing um, Home Birth Hesitant on board November 8th. 9th. <laughs> November 9th at 5, at 5 Pacific p.m. Standard Time. Right. Because we'll be changing the clocks by then. But five o'clock California yeah. time. Pacific time. Yeah. And so um, we'll, we'll have the link for that in the show notes as well, but we hope that you'll join us or that you'll share it with people that, you know, um, are considering home birth, but are having a challenging time um, with some of their family members. And we hope that we can be helpful. Yeah. I want to read something to you that, because it just fits with the thing you just said about, about people, some people who, who always will help you and other people won't. This was at a pub. <laughs> Along, you know, some of these pubs are great, you know, and I've been having Guinness up right and left. Um, and I really didn't like it in the United States, but it was just because it was never done properly. Yeah. These pubs are great. And I, the last two nights we went to pubs and, and we had um, uh, these Irish folk singers there with their guitars singing songs. And you can't help but, you know, stomp your foot, to pound the table. It's just it's just so great. But they have these little cute signs up that are, you know, they're they're meant to be funny and some are sort of obviously maybe taken wrongly by people who are a little bit less chauvinistic than, than I think the Irish are. This one isn't one of those though. It says I can only please one person per day. Today's not <laughs> your day and tomorrow doesn't look good either. <laughs> That's <laughs> pretty funny. No. Okay. So I'll see you next week. Until okay. then. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 